Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This is a really special episode because today I'm sharing my story and I'm sharing it in the context of how to heal trauma without therapy. And I know that it's going to be super controversial because some people are really big advocates for therapy. And this is mostly just referring to like regular common talk therapy. And we're just going to get started. So this approach in no way is saying all therapists suck. Sometimes I feel that way because I just get all, I honestly, I get a lot of clients who just say, I've been in therapy for years. It's not working. And they get three weeks into my program and they're like, you just did more for me in three weeks than my therapist was able to do for me in three years. And I don't actually know why that is, but I do know that my approach gets things done and we get things solved. If you want to just talk about it over and over and over again, then be my guest. This is not the place for you to be. Not without sympathy. Keep listening if you're feeling triggered because I promise it's all going to make sense, okay? Okay, so first I want to start out by saying I think that we all have trauma. And I think the trauma just happens when our precious human souls do not get the treatment that they truly deserve. I think we are all worthy of all the love in the world and so much admiration and respect and all the things. But I also know that this human life is probably not the best place to get those things. And so I think when our soul comes in contact with these human, these elements of being a human, the, the sadness and the fear and the abuse and, you know, emotional damage, all the things that happen as a human, I think we can become traumatized. And my specific definition of trauma is like continued pain. It is pain that continues to last, not because the experience was so horrific, but because of the beliefs that we developed about ourselves when we went through the experience or afterwards when we are trying to make sense of it. So I think we all have trauma because we all have beliefs that don't serve us or that really hurt us. And they come from instances in our lives, things that have happened. We don't just make them up like these things actually happen. And I would call any kind of painful experience trauma no matter how intense or extreme it was. So this is kind of for the general kind of trauma of just being a human and also for the kind of trauma that we're like, oh my gosh, like that could go in a movie. That's intense, right? So it's kind of like bad experiences. And then it's the way that you talk to yourself about those experiences. So it's when you allow intense traumatic thoughts to overwhelm you. So first I'm going to start with my story. I've gotten a few requests lately um, to hear my story in one place. I guess I don't have it on the podcast anywhere, but this is a great time to talk about it because trauma and my experience go hand in hand. Um, <clears throat> if you get triggered by this, I just want you to know I love you and I'm here for you and I just want to hug you and make sure that you know how loved you are and how this is a totally safe place to fill these things, of course, feel free to shut it off. If you're not ready to approach this, 
that's fine. But if you're kind of like, okay, I think I'm ready to get over the things in my past. This is a really great episode to listen to, even if you're not 100% sure, but you are really tired of feeling the way that you feel. So my story. Growing up, I am the oldest child and I have a little brother who's two years younger than me and I have a little sister who's eight and a half years younger than me. And we belonged to our parents who were very in love with each other, but also just were really good at fighting (laughs) by really good. I mean, really bad at fighting. Um, they, they met each other in juvie, which, you know, just kind of tells you maybe both of them were a little bit of troublemakers, but also I really love my parents. They are amazing people. And I just have so much admiration for them. They, they went through so many hard things themselves. My mom, um, her mother passed away when she was nine years old. She was the oldest child too. She had a younger sister and she spent some time in the foster system when her dad was having a really hard time being a single parent. Um, my dad, his parents were divorced. He had an amazing mom, an amazing stepdad, but he did not get to spend really any time with his biological father. And so for sure, they both went through some traumatic things and they were really hard on them. And I have so much love for what they've been through and who they are and what they tried to do despite it. So they had me, 1989, that's how old I am. Um, My brother a couple years later and we moved around a little bit. Um, I was born in California. We moved to Washington where my brother was born and then Oregon is where I grew up. So I think I was probably four or five when we moved there or younger, I guess, because my brother was born in Washington. And I think I distinctly remember having my second birthday. No, it must have been my third birthday in Oregon. So I was young. Anyway, um, my parents were also great parents and they tried really hard to love us and take care of us. Uh, unfortunately, they fell into the wrong crowd and they made some choices regarding drugs and alcohol that were not great for raising a family. And they were not able to keep jobs. They were not able to take care of us. And long story short is my brother and I ended up in the foster system. The way that we were removed from our home was pretty traumatic for me. I mean, I don't know that you can really be removed from your home in any way that wasn't traumatic, but like my mom and dad weren't really on the same page. My dad felt like if, if he cooperated, then he wouldn't get in trouble, you know? And so he was more willing. I mean, not that he wanted to, but he, he felt like they should cooperate. My mom was like, no, I'm grabbing the kids and we are leaving. We're just going to run. And I definitely understand it from her point of view too. I, I can't imagine having my own children taken away from me for any reason. And so I understand where both of them were coming from. My mom was very emotional that day. I don't remember, um, much about what my dad looked like. I, I, I know he was quieter. I know he was definitely, that had to have been an extremely low moment for him, but the police came to our house and they asked, you know, is there a suitcase that 
the kids have that we could put some clothes in and um, we already had one packed because my mom was going to take us, but it was, you know, she had some of her clothes in it. it w there wasn't much in it. That's what the police grabbed. They asked if we knew someone, uh, from the elementary school, she was maybe an aide or a guidance counselor or something. And, and we said, yes, you know, I was seven, my brother was five. So we were both in school and that's, that person's house is where we went for the next month. And as we were leaving the driveway, my mom is banging on the police um, windows. You know, we're in the backseat of this police car and she's banging on the window saying, I'll see you every day. And of course, as a little girl, like I'm so scared, but I'm like, okay, I'm taking care of my brother from now on. The biggest feeling there was just helpless. And there was nothing I could do to stop what was happening in that moment. And it hurt. It was just extremely painful to be torn from the place that felt, that was home, that felt safe to me. You know, as, as chaotic as it was sometimes, it was not all bad. There were so many good things about my childhood growing up. My dad would take us to church. My parents bought us pets. We had chickens and a rooster in the backyard. Our rooster's name was History. I have no idea why. He was mean though. He died and I cried and we had a funeral and my mom bought me a pet rat and his name was Randy because of course alliteration as a kid is very important. Ellie Elephant, Randy the Rat. Anyway, Randy ended up getting a tumor and he died and I cried and I remember when we buried him in the backyard, my mom said, Every Monday night from now on, because she had just gotten a new job, I remember being so proud of her. Every Monday night, we're going to go out, or every payday maybe, that's what it was, we're going to go out to dinner as a family, and we would go out to this Mexican restaurant in this little tiny town that we lived in. My dad was so proud of me all the time. He, I was a daddy's girl for sure. My mom was amazing. My dad was just so gentle and so caring and would brush my hair, paint my nails. Um, he was just a solid person in my life. You know, whatever he was going through, he tried really hard to be there for me and my little brother. Um, he would walk me to school. He would show all his friends how I could read his car magazines when I was six years old I was I was reading these big words and he I still remember the look on his face he was so proud and there were a lot of good memories with my parents this is I know this is a tangent but this is why I have my foundation the Steve Grog foundation which I'll probably do another podcast on but we wanted to be home. We wanted to be with our parents and the state found them unfit to be parents, but it causes a lot of damage to take children from their home. Spoiler alert, we were never returned to our home. Um, we went into several different foster homes, the second of which we were there for the longest and were experiencing emotional and physical and sexual abuse 
and that was really hard. Um, they were not the nicest people, but mostly their kids were pretty terrible to us. They had three kids of their own and they did foster care and oh my gosh, people should not be foster parents who are not uh, like thoroughly checked. I don't know. Anytime I hear somebody's a foster parent and I know this person and I love them and they're like amazing people, I'm like, thank you so much for being a foster parent because I know that is terrible of a situation as it is. These kids need good homes to go to. And maybe in the beginning, this was an okay home to be in, but we were there for two years and it just became worse and worse. And you know, just felt like I didn't belong. I wasn't wanted. I wasn't loved. And my little brother was even less wanted and even less loved because he had ADD. And I just learned how to be the perfect child. So nobody would ever get rid of me. That's one of those trauma responses. But I made sure that we stuck together. And anytime a caseworker would say, you know, we've got to move. Um, they don't, they don't want to, keep having you do you want to be split up like you could stay but your brother has to go I'd always choose to stay with my brother so I was asked to do a lot of adult things as a child I was asked to handle a lot of big emotions and decisions even as a young girl so I, I feel like I kind of was forced to just be really mature and grow up really fast um after our second foster home it just got so bad that we had to be removed we were put into a temporary foster home she wasn't planning on being a foster parent but she was a teacher at school and I just loved her and I remember the first day that we went in um to her house she had a, a daughter in high school and her daughter had gone to this um shop called goodies I don't know if that still exists in Oregon, in Bend, where I grew up, but Goodies was a candy shop. She had bought these little Thai beanie babies. Those were so popular back then. And um, some jelly beans. And it was this welcome gift to this foster home. And I just thought, what? Like they, they want us to be here? It was such a different experience than my last foster home. I, I, genuinely thought maybe I've died and gone to heaven. This is so amazing just to be wanted in a home. And they were so kind to us. I got my own room. I felt so just loved and cared for. And unfortunately, you know, I think I begged her to adopt me. Please, please, can I stay? And she just wasn't planning on adopting and I think I remember even writing my last name or writing my name on my paper in third grade with her last name. I just, I wanted some permanency. I, I wanted something and it had been years since I'd been with my parents. And I don't know, at that point, maybe you're just kind of losing hope a little bit. Not that you don't want to go home, but you know, they're not together. You have to visit them weekly, which by the way, is enough to just drive you so insane. Only seeing your parents once a week. And from their end, now that I'm a parent, I cannot imagine how humiliating and awful it must have been for them to 
have supervised visits with their kids. It just hurts. It hurts so bad even now to think of that. Like I just hurt for them. Um, but they made every visit and they didn't cancel. My dad would bring a part of his lunch every time that he would visit us. It still makes me so sad, just so sad thinking of of them and what they were going through and how difficult it must have been for them. Um, so after this third foster home, we were placed in another one. Now this one was with the intention to adopt us. We didn't know that when we first came in, um, but they were wanting to adopt you know, this sibling group, which was us. By this time, my sister had been born. She was born when I was in my second foster home, I want to say. And she was immediately placed into care. Um, so she was with the same foster home since the time she was a baby until she was adopted when she was two and a half, I think. <clears throat> anyway, I should do a podcast with her too. Anyway, um, this fourth foster home we went into, it was kind of like, all right, here we go again. Time for another foster home. Time for another family to try to make happy. You know, every home is so different and there's different rules and there's a different vibe, a different feeling. And even though this was an amazing home, I think I was just tired. I was tired of being bounced around. I was tired of not feeling loved and wanted and I didn't know what I wanted I was I think I was starting to feel a little calloused at that point like pretty hopeless I had been hopeless for a long time and it's almost like I I didn't care anymore and that was hard as you know I was nine I was almost 10 so we moved there I think in June and this was a couple years after we'd been in the system and a few months later, um, I guess they had had a meeting, you know, with my parents and with my now foster family and caseworkers and judges and all the things. And my parents were out of time and they were not meeting their goals to be able to get us back. And my dad kind of gave up on himself after that he tried really hard those years but it had just been too long and he ended up um, taking his life by suicide um, just about a month before my 10th birthday and to say that was devastating is too much of an understatement I still miss him beyond belief. I still cry because of the hole that he left in my heart. He was my one safe place and he was gone. And I think it just put me over. I don't I don't remember the next many months of my life. I don't remember what it was like going back to school. I don't, I don't remember anything. It was really, really hard. Um, after that, we were, 
we stayed in this foster home for a while. Um, I know there was some issues with finalizing things, trying to keep us all together. Um, but eventually it worked out. And in the year, what is it? 2000 or 2001? Must have been 2000. We were officially adopted by this amazing family who were never able to have children of their own. And they adopted all three of us, which is just incredible. Um, so we were adopted and we, you know, at that point I was 11. My brother was nine. My little sister was, what is that? Two and a half. And now it was just time to become a family with all that trauma. So we'll tell the rest of the story maybe later of, you know, what it was like to be adopted as a, as a preteen. But this is just kind of for reference of like, these are kind of the things that I've been through. You can kind of imagine the trauma that might have been created from these things happening. But the interesting thing is just where I'm at today because it's the complete opposite of where I should be according to statistics. Statistically, I should have gotten pregnant very, very young, possibly been homeless, never married, and my kids very likely would have ended up back in the foster system and I would be on drugs and just this, these are just the statistics for people who are that age and spend a lot of time in the foster system. Gratefully, we were adopted. I think that that was probably my saving grace because even though it was only a few years that I was with my adopted family, um, they definitely provided the safety and the steadiness and the order and the love that we had needed for a long time. And, you know, I always wished that I could have just had the same family from the beginning, whether it was my biological family or my adopted family, because it was really hard to like assimilate myself into a family when I was already 11 years old. I had taken care of myself. I had essentially raised myself for my whole life. And it's just an interesting transition, but having that steadiness, having that love, having a place to call home and parents who were, you know, married and committed to each other and loved each other, like that made a huge difference in, in the way that I turned out and offered me a safe place to finally let my guard down and become the person that I was meant to be. So I'm eternally grateful for my adopted family's home. But it doesn't come without, you know, its trauma and its difficulties. So that is kind of like the basic part of my story. I'll refer back to things like in it as we're going through so that you can have reference for how these things are supposed to work. So number one, the trauma that I experienced with the events was nothing compared to the trauma I inflicted on myself. Well, I won't say nothing, but it was equal probably to the trauma I inflicted on myself because of what I had been through. So our brains try to make sense of the things that we go through. And it just is trying to find a reason why these things happen. And the reason it always goes to is there's something wrong with me. And in this case, it would be, I'm not valuable. I'm not lovable. I'm not loved. 
I'm different than other people. I can't tell you how long it took me to unwind this belief of I'm different from everybody else. Like there's something uniquely wrong with me. I believed that for so long. I just thought, why don't I have a normal family? Why doesn't God love me enough to just give me like a really stable home where I can thrive and, and be okay. So that belief stayed with me. So if you have trauma from something that has happened in the past, I just want you to think about, okay, aside from the thing that happened, what did I like make it mean about me when this thing happened? So if somebody bullied you, or if you like lost a like important championship or something like it doesn't matter what it is intense thoughts can come after any event and the more that you think those thoughts the more that your brain will attach those beliefs about you like I'm not good enough and I'm not valuable your brain will continue to look for evidence that those things are true and that and you'll continue to traumatize yourself as you go throughout your life regardless of what is actually happening to you, your trauma becomes your story. So it's so important to notice what are the thoughts I'm thinking about myself. Now, here's the interesting part. Your thoughts about you are just that. They're just thoughts. You just made them up. Your brain literally made them up. It comes up with reasons. It thinks something might have happened and As soon as we come up with a reason, we think, yep, that's it. That's why I am the way I am. That's why this thing happened. And then it continues to recreate that story in every single instance. And so your relationships become affected by the things you believe about yourself, your confidence, your business, that all the things that you do are always based on the things that you think about yourself. So I feel like that's so much more important than what actually happened. It's okay what do I believe about myself now because of it? So here's how those beliefs about myself affected my relationships. I married the most amazing man. He's so good. He's so wonderful. God placed him directly in my life and would not allow me to say no to him. He was just meant to be in my life. He is such a calm, warm presence and I didn't even, I feel like I didn't even know him really when I married him, even though we dated for a year, which is really not that long. Um, I'm so grateful that God specifically chose him. He's just the perfect guy for me, but I did not feel like I was the perfect girl for him. I felt like I was damaged goods. Like there was just something wrong with me and that he would never accept me, that I wasn't worth loving. All of these things came up in my first like several years of marriage. And the problem is it's not his job to make sure that I feel loved. That's mine. So if you have trauma, it's not the job of somebody else in your life to undo the effects of that trauma. This is 100% your job. And that like, not in this, like, being mean to yourself kind of way. This is, it's your job to be kind to yourself, to offer yourself a safe place to heal, to ask yourself what you need, whatever that is, and to be extremely gentle and loving and understanding of yourself when you're going through this. We don't need to change you instantly. There's nothing actually wrong with who you are. You are amazing. You are valuable. You're worthy of love, but your brain's going to think that you're not. Okay. So Here's why I think therapy doesn't work as well as we want it to. 
Because when we go to therapy, what we're not warned about is our thoughts define our future. And they also define our past and who we are. And so if we're allowed to just say whatever we want about ourselves, all that we're doing when we're telling our therapist is we're reaffirming that story to ourselves. So if I were to say to my therapist, I like was abandoned as a child, essentially, like I wasn't cared for. I wasn't loved. I feel like nobody took care of me. I feel like I had to be on my own, all these things. And they're just there to listen. Then they're letting you do more damage to yourself because you believe those thoughts. My job as your life coach is to let you know, all right, all of these words that you have about yourself in your head, they're all optional. You don't have to keep them. You don't have to continue to believe there's something wrong with me. I'm not valuable. And you're going to start to notice when you say those things, and we want to rewind and say the actual truth. So I'm going to help you change the way you talk about your past and about yourself to yourself instead of just talking about it to get it out there. Getting it out there, it might feel relieving in the moment, but I kind of, this is my analogy for it, is that therapy is like draining the bathtub. You know, if we filled up the bathtub with all these thoughts and experiences and these difficult things, we go to therapy and we let it all out so the bathtub drains, but we haven't turned on the faucet or turned off the faucet. Life coaching helps you turn off the faucet. Let's stop filling up the bathtub with these terrible experiences because of the way that you're thinking. So we're not going to repeat these stories over and over again. If you're ready to be over it, you need to hire a life coach. Talking about things over and over again just cements the beliefs in our minds. Because when we say things out loud or just in our heads, we're reliving that story. And if we say it without being aware of how words affect us, then we're just reaffirming those beliefs. And that is dangerous and it's damaging and it's re-traumatizing. Our subconscious says it's fine. It's not. It's not fine to just think about yourself however you want to. It's extremely important to choose only the words that you want to choose. And trust me, just bring it to me. I'm going to show you the things that you're thinking over and over again. I'm going to help you stop saying those things. We don't want to keep damaging your self-esteem. So this is the other thing that I feel like has been kind of a little bit of my secret. All right, so <clears throat> this next part, I want you to bear with me. It's powerful, but some people might not like it, but I bet you'll like it because you're ready to get over this, right? So my next tip for overcoming trauma without therapy is essentially you have to stop playing the victim. You almost have to downplay your trauma. The things that happen to you as hard as they are. By the way, if I was your best friend and I was sitting with you and you just needed to feel bad, you needed to process th these feelings, you needed somebody to listen to, I would listen to you. I would tell you, I can't believe that happened. I'm so sorry. That's so wrong. But as a coach, 
it's not empowering to tell you how it's not, it's not good to like reaffirm how awful your situation was. We know it was awful. It was, it's trauma. So after we've processed it, after we're like, okay, I'm kind of tired of hearing the same story over again. It's time to start seeing what happened as just something that happened. You're not special in this way that like it, trauma only happened to you. This is a human experience. Sometimes it's more intense with some people than it is with others. Now I'm not judging you because this is our tendency is to just believe that something awful happened and I'll never be the same and it shouldn't have happened. And that's the key here. When we're a victim, when we choose to remain a victim, what we continue to believe is I was wronged. This shouldn't have happened. I don't deserve to have bad things happen to me. And the truth is, I know that sounds really extreme, but it will never serve you to stay in the place of like being mad that this happened. You can be mad for a little bit if you want to, but don't spend your whole life being upset about this. Don't spend your whole life thinking that you are wronged, that you are owed something, that you're eternally messed up because of what somebody did to you. It's not serving you. It's not helpful. So while I for sure could use this as an excuse not to live my life in a big way and not to be successful, I don't really want to. I want to be successful. I want to be happy. I want to be, quote, like everyone else. Like I used to think everyone else has this like amazing chance at life, but I just, because it started out this way for me, like I don't have the same chance at happiness. And that's the victim story that I want us to drop. You can drop that instantly. You don't have to drop the idea that it was a bad thing. It was, it was rude. It was mean. It quote, shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. And now it's time to stop thinking that it shouldn't have happened. So that is my next tip is start to get to a place where you can, I feel like downplay isn't the right word, but in your own mind, it needs to become less dramatic. It needs to be just about the circumstances. I was in one home and then I was in another. Like I lived with my parents and then I lived with somebody else that way we get really clean on which specific things created what thoughts. So when that's completely neutral, then all I have left is like what my coach would call clean pain. There's, there's, I think I have a podcast episode on it, but there's clean pain and there's dirty pain. We're here as humans to experience all the human emotions. And there's no judgment if you're feeling dirty pain. Everybody's going to feel the kind of pain that's not necessary, like shame and doubt and like wallowing in self-pity. Everybody's going to do that. That's okay. But if you have a choice, we want to limit that. We want to limit how often we feel the kind of pain that only makes us feel worse. Now, there's another kind of pain. It's called clean pain. And it's the kind of pain that you feel when you genuinely want to feel sad about something. I don't want to feel like a victim, but I do want to feel sad. It's important to me to feel sad that my dad died 
and to feel lonely and to miss him. Those are negative emotions I want in my life because they make my life more full and they give me the full experience of being a human. And so I'm going to process those feelings and I'll let them sit with me. And the difference between clean pain and dirty pain is that when I'm feeling clean pain, I'm not making my circumstances, the things that happened mean anything about me. I'm just feeling the sadness that naturally goes with losing someone, with being separated so traumatically with somebody. And sometimes I still feel that pain, but it doesn't weigh me down for days or weeks because I follow it up with, of course, that's not about me. Of course, it wasn't my fault that this happened. It's not even their fault. Like this just happened. Like this was just a hard thing that we went through. And these are the things that happened. So there's power in beginning to downplay your trauma. You don't have to say it was no big deal, but you also can land somewhere in the middle where you're like, this happened and it really sucked and I'm okay. Like I actually have a really amazing life. I'm also really grateful. It's like, it just means like, I'm going to tell the whole truth, which is that, yeah, this thing happened. And sometimes I wish that it wouldn't, but also I'm so grateful for where my life is right now. I'm okay. I don't need the attention of a victim to feel good about myself. And this is going to be, you're going to have to have this conversation with yourself where you remind you, you did a good job. This is that, that was a really hard thing to get through and you got through it. And I'm so proud of you. A lot of times we stay in the victim place when we want other people to tell us, oh, you did such a good job. I can't believe you went through that. We like that spotlight of being the victim and that's okay. I love you. Everybody wants attention and love, but why don't we go get it in a different way? It's going to feel a lot better if we can get it from a different place. We could drop the story of like, I was in foster care and I was adopted and my life was really hard and we could just go get attention for being an awesome life coach and being an amazing mom and having a great life. Like I'd rather get attention from that. But the point is like, you have to be giving yourself the attention and credit and love and like recognition and validation really that you deserve. If you're not, if you're trying to seek it out from other people, that's a clear sign that you haven't validated yourself. And that just, you literally sit down and you have a conversation with yourself. I'm so sorry. I haven't been listening to you. Tell me more. You listen, you play both parts and then you say the exact actual thing that you wish somebody else would say. Like, I am so sorry. I cannot believe that happened. You're so lovable. Oh, I wish that never happened to you because I love you so much. All these things that we wish somebody else would say to us, those are the things that we say to ourselves. <clears throat> so we want to feel sad and use and hurt and mad in a useful way. It's just more as like, like turn this thing into just an experience to add to your life as a human and not this list of things that shouldn't have happened. So we approach trauma from the perspective this is at the end, right? This is eventually, whenever you're ready, it's possible to approach trauma from the perspective of maybe this was supposed to happen and maybe this never meant anything about me. So if it was because of something someone else did, 
You have to see it as an event that reflects who they were or are and not who you are or what you deserved. So the fact that my parents couldn't take care of me and we were put in the foster system actually never meant anything about me. Even though for the longest time, I genuinely thought God wouldn't have let this happen if I was, if I was more lovable, if I was better. I was, and so that put me in this place where I was always trying to prove that I was good enough, always trying to prove to people why they should keep me. Of course I did, because I believed that I wasn't keepable, that I wasn't lovable, that people wouldn't want me. As soon as I stopped believing that and I started believing I'm just as lovable as everybody else, that's when my friendship started being a lot more steady because I wasn't showing up as, as this like really needy, desperate person. I was like, you can like me or you cannot like me. It doesn't mean anything about me. I have all the friends that I need, all the family that I need. I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed. And you can stay or you can go, but it doesn't actually mean anything about me. And I stopped being terrified of people leaving my life. And my friendships got a lot deeper because I had something to give instead of just really, really needing stuff. So approach this situation from through the lens of like, this didn't happen because I'm not good enough. This didn't happen because there was anything wrong with me. If somebody else did something to you or somebody's actions caused you trauma, it was never because you weren't good enough. It was because of whatever they were going through. Like my parents couldn't take care of me, but not because of me, because they got involved in drugs, not because I wasn't lovable enough, but because they could not overcome their addictions long enough to keep a family intact. They were going through their own stuff, right? The second part is of the second part of approaching this trauma from like, what if maybe it was supposed to happen is ask yourself what you would be missing without this experience. What character trait, what understanding, what, um, virtue would you potentially not have developed if you hadn't gone through this thing? The perspective that everything happens for a reason is a super annoying one, but also maybe true. And sometimes things just happen so that we can become the person that we need to be. And maybe that's not really true, but when you believe it, it gives you purpose to the things that have happened. It stops you from saying this shouldn't have happened because then you say, this was an important part of my life. This was a hard thing that I was supposed to go through because it developed my character, because it gave me experiences that I couldn't have had any other way. You might not be at this point. That's not a problem. You will get to this point a lot faster if you give yourself space to feel the feelings that you're having and stop resisting feeling them. Stop telling yourself you should be over it. Stop telling yourself that you should feel better, that you should not be thinking about it anymore. It's kind of this dance of letting yourself feel the feelings that come up and not judging yourself and then moving into better feelings when you're ready. So sometimes I still spend a day or like maybe even a week or a few days, like really sad that my dad is gone and mourning him and trying to remember him and all the things, but I know that it's not going to last. I, it's the positive kind of pain where like, I want to feel the pain of missing someone. So when you ask yourself, what would I be missing without this experience? You're able to realize that 
our lives were never supposed to be perfect. Our lives were never supposed to be smooth and easy. I don't know why exactly. I mean, I have my guesses. I have my beliefs. But it's possible that the way things are is the way they were supposed to be. And if it wasn't going to be one thing, it would be something else. I love who I am today. But there's some things that I have had to work through with trauma that I wouldn't have had to work through without going through those things. And working through them makes me feel strong, makes me feel brave and courageous. It makes me feel like I could do lots of other hard things. Real happiness is not about ease. Real happiness is about progress. So wherever you are in this healing trauma journey, I think the best way to go about it is not to spend the next six years in therapy. The best way to go about it, go about it is to hire a life coach and spend the next six months to a year becoming the person that you want to be and turning all that trauma and pain into purpose. You are meant to do that. You don't have to uproot your life to get over things. That's why we bury things is because we're afraid of like upending whatever we've got going. We're afraid of like messing up what good we think is happening when really subconsciously it stays in there until we bring it up. So let's bring it up. Let's process it. And I promise you don't have to feel like this for a year. You don't. You will move on. You will feel better. Literally after the first time. Even after the consultation, bring your trauma to me. I'm going to tell you what I think of it. I'm going to tell you what's going on in your head. I'm going to tell you those beliefs that are double traumatizing you. And I'm going to tell you how we're going to process your emotions. We're going to have a whole game plan for the next six months. And by like week three, you're going to feel better than you would have after six years of just getting it out and reaffirming it over and over again to a therapist. We're going to stop your mind from going there anymore. We're rewiring it. If you're a therapist, I love you so much. You're doing an amazing job. I would be shocked if any therapists were listening to me right now. But if you've gone to therapy and it has not helped you, I want you to just give life coaching a try. I promise it's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt very bad. It's we're going to get through all the stuff. You're hurting and suffering a lot more right now than you actually have to. And I want you to feel better. Okay, so you're going to hear the ending message. Free consultations at the link in my bio. But <clears throat> the last thing that I want to say is life coaching will change the way that you talk to yourself every day. All that trauma that was inflicted from the one incident... The most traumatic thing is the way that you talk to yourself after that, how you affirm over and over again, how awful you are, how you deserved it. What's wrong with me? That's the most traumatic part. And that part is easily solved. We can't go back. We can't change the past. Although I do have some tools for revisualizing a happier ending, but most of all, we need to change the way that you talk to yourself. That's going to change everything. It's going to allow you to get through the things that you keep putting yourself through. It's going to stop feeling so painful. You're going to be able to feel clean pain. No more dirty pain. And you're going to feel like you are in control of your memories, of your beliefs about yourself, 
of the way you see your past and the way that you move forward in the future so that your trauma and your past is not controlling how you show up. This is important work, my friends, and I'm so glad you're here to do it with me. If you hated this podcast, you're welcome to keep it to yourself, or you can totally message me on Instagram, and I would love to hear from you. Maybe something I said was not clear, and I would love the chance to clarify it. If you're just eternally offended, that's okay too. I still love you. Um, but if you are one of those people who's like, all right, time to go, let's do it. You can go to thoughtbosscoaching.com or you can go visit me on Instagram at thoughtbosscoaching and send me a message or just go to the link that's in my bio on Instagram and click for your free consultation. I would love to talk with you and it's completely free. So it's an hour that we get to figure out, all right, can I help you? Here's how I would help you. Here's what we would do. And then you get to decide if you want to move forward or not. I can't wait to meet you. I'm so glad you're here on the podcast. And I hope this was really helpful today. I feel like we just touched the very tip of the iceberg. Um, But we will see you next week. Hey, it's me, Nicole. Wasn't that fun? I love chatting with you every week. And I love even more hearing how it helped you. So leave a rating and review and send me a message on Instagram with what I should coach on next for even more good stuff, including my free anxiety course and my relationships course and more sign up for my email list at thoughtbosscoaching.com.